Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. And me, Reverend Terry Menevigal. Right. So we're back. This is season two, episode three. Title is Jamie and the Man of Sorrows, where we start to look at sexual violence in Outlander. It's kind of a a two-part series. So this first one is this conversation. And then the second one will be just a general conversation around sexual violence in Outlander. And we have our very, very first guest on the show. um, Emma Goose is in the house. So Jamie got to know Emma last year. And went up to Sheffield, England, where Emma lives, to do the interview. Because Terry couldn't make it to England this time, and she's (laughs) still fairly heartbroken about that. Um, (laughs) We're still working on trying to... We're working on that. (laughs) I love England. While Terry couldn't make it, Jamie did. And gave an amazing conversation with Emma that you'll get to hear shortly. And Mm -hmm. in that conversation, you'll get to hear how they got to know each other and how she came to be on our podcast today it was it was great we the the conversation that we had was recorded in emma's living room so all the you know there might be some background noise or kind of sound might not sound as studio like as you are accustomed to (laughs) (laughs) as i just did a recording of my dog snoring again um just for a possible outtake in another episode there there are there are unfortunately no dog sounds but i do believe there are a couple of buses for the united states and lorries for the uh for those in the uk so yeah uh, Terry, you want to tell us yeah, a little bit yeah, about so Emma? Little She'll bit. introduce herself a bit in the episode, but let's start here. Yeah, so just a little bit of background on Emma. She's got her bachelor's and master's degree in archaeology from the University mm-hmm. of Sheffield, where she mm-hmm. is at now getting her PhD in problematic gender constructions in biblical and temporary rape narratives. So mm-hmm. those are a lot of big words to say that <laughs> we have a lot of stories about rape and most mm. of them are told in problematic ways. <laughs> so, definitely. Her study is about how we tell these stories, what the problems are in the narrative, and in, mm. and specifically in comparison between biblical narratives on rape and contemporary mm. narratives on rape. So, it's a really yeah. deep subject yeah. and she knows a little bit about everything. So, she's like perfect for this podcast. Uh, she, she knows is, about yeah. narrative structure, she's got biblical scholarship, and she's in gender studies and she's mm. also this huge Outlander fan. we talked a little bit though and and you'll see she hasn't read all the books yet so obviously she she doesn't know where things are currently as far as book eight and so we had to kind of do a spoiler alert between the (laughs) two of us of like i'm not going to tell you anything more we're just going to talk about up to what you know but that's in the episode too so right and 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 mostly what you talk about in this episode Mm -hmm. is jamie's experience with rape and in comparison with the hebrew scriptures of Mm. lamentations and so her paper which Mm. is called the lamentation of jamie fraser outlander male rape and an intertextual reading of lamentations 3 has to do with what you guys are going to be talking about today it's really Mm. a study between the narrative of jamie's rape by blackjack randall and the man of sorrows in lamentations 3 she presented this paper as a part of the shiloh project which is out of sheffield as well as the university of leeds and the university of auckland's in new zealand they are together looking at disparities and connections between the culture of sexual violence and religion specifically Mm -hmm. the culture of rape and so she made this presentation you also have made a presentation yeah we did yeah so that's how i met emma actually my phd supervisor from back in the day he and i are working together on research that he's conducted around jesus's crucifixion as sexual violence and so we were presenting a paper uh, up in sheffield and in the question and answer time emma's like "Ooh, ooh, i just did this research on outlander and of course i totally fangirled I was like, oh, we have to talk. And so, yeah, so this is how it all started. There will be links on our webpage for this particular episode so that you can read the Lamentations paper that Emma Mm -hmm. wrote. And Mm -hmm. you can read Jamie's paper, which is called Hashtag Me Too Jesus, about Jesus as sexual assault victim in the Gospel of Mark. Mark. 
Yeah. yeah, Mark. The yeah. text is Mark fifteen. So yeah, um, yeah. In the show notes on our website for this particular episode, I'll include those links. And Emma mentions a couple other texts, and so we'll we'll put links to those as well. And this conversation continues in the next episode, uh, it episode does, four, yes. and it's a little more general. Where mm-hmm. you guys are really just talking about Jamie mostly mm-hmm. in this, uh, and yes. Blackjack as well. But mm-hmm. you get into more instances of rape in general in the eight books of Outlander. And so just so you are aware out there, mm-hmm. uh, all of our fans and, and all of the community that we're creating, this is not the end of the conversation. No, it's not. And I don't even expect that these two episodes are going to be the end of the conversation. This will no. be continue to be an issue that that we will bring up. And maybe I should also say too, um, because I don't think we explicitly say it when Emma and I were recording, but a lot of people, I think one of the pushbacks might be that, you know, if we're taking Outlander seriously, then, then, you know, how are we as a text or, you know, considering its sacred nature in people's lives, the whole issue about, you know, will there sexual violence in it? And so how do we, how do those things jive together? And I right. think what we need to point out is that there's so much sexual violence in the Bible too, and yet we don't question that. So that part of this, the assumption in this episode is that, yeah, problematic texts exist everywhere, and yet we still take these stories seriously. And how do we make those things work side right. by side? Right, right, right. In other news, so Terry, you are headed as the Outlander Soul representative to the Through the Stones conference. Yes, um, I am. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's up in conference. the conference. Probably cities. more of a convention, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it is a convention, yeah. So that's happening in Iowa, right? Davenport, Iowa? Yeah, so Quad Cities, which is kind of the Mm -hmm. intersection between Iowa and Illinois. So there's like four cities that come together there. And this is going to be on the Iowa side in Davenport. So it's the first and largest Outlander convention in the central United States. And Debbie Ford, who runs the convention, is a fan and listener and reached out to us and, and invited us to come along. So Terry was free to do that. I get to go to Sheffield and interview Emma. Terry gets to go and hang out with Outlander staff and and creators. Um, So just in case there's a question about balance here. Um, Oh, come on. You got to meet Emma. She's amazing. (laughs) I am like... She is. I think I got the better end of the deal. That's what I mean. Um... But uh, no, so Terry's going to represent us and there's going to be a press conference and Ron Moore will be there. Terry's a big Battlestar Galactica fan. So, you know. Yes. And of course, Ron is the producer for Outlander, yeah. so I'm really yeah. excited. <laughs> um, but also, Terry Dressbach, who's the Outlander costume person in charge, uh, whatever the official She's the title costume is. designer. Yeah. Yeah, costume designer. And she's also Ron's wife, but in her own right, she's she's got some pretty important stuff um, to yeah. be talking about. And then Ed Spielers, the actor who is playing Stephen Bonnet in this season, is also going to be there. So Yeah, and I'll try not to take a swipe a at him. Yeah, because, but, you know, he's Stephen Bonnet. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. So there are still tickets for the convention if you're interested in going along. If you want to attend, check them out. So the website is through the stones, T-H-R-U, throughthestones.com. And if you're there, look Terry up. Um, yes, please. If you're a fan mm. and listen to Outlander Soul, I would love to talk to you because yeah. I'm a geek about this stuff and I love to talk with other geeks. Yeah, and it'd be great for us to be meeting fans and and having chats. And we dream of having a get-together at some point. And so it'd be great to kind of start laying the foundations for maybe that happening at some point. Absolutely, absolutely. We are so excited that Droughtlander is over. Isn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It is gone. And uh, just this past week, after... The first episode of season four of Outlander, we, Jamie and I, got together on Facebook Live. She in England, me in in the States. Synchronize watches. There we go. I just cannot believe that we can do this in this day and age. (laughs) It's like the Jetsons, man. It really is. It really is like the Jetsons. (laughs) Except I just don't have my flying car. And what I really want is my flying car. Mm. But 
Uh, we will, after each week, try to get together and do this Facebook Live for just a little recap and yeah. a quick response to the episode. So yeah. five, ten minutes at the most. Just us talking a little bit about what we liked, what we didn't like, what we hope we'll see in the next one, and just kind of trying to connect with the community that we've got out there. A practical issue, though, is that you guys in the States get it on Sunday, and I, here in the UK, do not get it until Monday. So right. we, we won't be doing these until after I I've seen it on Monday. Obviously. So it might be Monday night. It might be <laughs> Tuesday. It really just kind of depends on how the schedule is worked out. If you're not able to catch us live, then it'll be recorded and available on our Facebook page. Absolutely. So you can catch it anytime you like. We'd also like to say a big thank you to our newest Patreon patron. So Fiona, we're really happy to have you. So grateful for your support. And uh, Fiona joins Lynn and Sarah in supporting us each month as a podcast. And we would love to have more. They would like to have company. So um, anybody who's able to join us and help us with keeping this going, would be amazing. So if you're looking for a way to support us, there are a number of ways. Patreon support is not the only option, but you can go to outlandersoul.com and click on support us and you can listen to the podcast through paid sites like Radio Public or Stitcher. So basically it means every time you listen on that, then we get a few pennies for each time. Or you can via PayPal support us that way if you don't want to give kind of on a monthly basis. But yeah, there are other ways to do that. And then sharing and liking our stuff and telling all your friends that kind of stuff is really useful too. Well, and that's gotten big this week. It so has. It's been a huge thing this, this week. This has Holy been cow. awesome. So just in this week, we've gone from 350 fans to 550 fans. We have gotten mm. nearly 200 likes on Facebook for our page. And yep. we just cannot thank you enough for helping us hit this landmark. No, keep sharing fantastic. it. Uh, yeah. Keep liking it. Keep the momentum going. And let's keep the mm-hmm. conversation going because that's really what this is about. We want mm-hmm. to hear from you. And mm-hmm. we love that you are listening to our musings and our conversations. Our ramblings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, I think what differentiates us from the from the other amazing Outlander people out there yeah. is that we're we're taking the text seriously and the role that it plays in in its fans' lives. So we're looking at it from a theological, religious, and spiritual lens. I'm kind of saying this is a sacred text. We expect that it has a gift to give, and so let's look and see what that means for us. Right. How does it change us, and how can we come together as a community around Mm -hmm. this text Mm -hmm. to talk about that change? So without further ado, we should probably start this episode, right? Right, and away we go. Here we are, me me and Emma. Hi, Terry. Yay! (laughs) So we're on location in Sheffield. So it's just me this time. So I, uh, you guys know, I live in the UK and Terry lives in the States. And because of time difference and because of the location of some interesting people, some of the podcasts or episodes that we'll do might just be me and a guest and then others might be just Terry and a guest. So this time it's me with... Emma Nagoose. Emma Nagoose. <laughs> so I know Emma from uh, our work around uh, theology and biblical studies. And Emma's based up here at the University of Sheffield doing her PhD. And she wrote this amazing piece on Outlander and the Book of Lamentations, which we'll spend some time on, obviously, for this episode. But yeah, so Emma's Emma's amazing. She's an Outlander fan. If you follow us on Twitter and other places, then you might very well see see her retweeting and tweeting us and stuff like that. So yeah, Emma, welcome. We're really glad you're here. I'm so very glad to be here, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> to be here. We're sitting on her couch yeah. in her house as if I've taken over and this is now my domain. We just um, made an Outlander-themed pie. But... We did. Check our, <laughs> check out the social media. Um, we probably will post it before this episode comes up, so you might have to go back a little bit. But yeah, Emma made this amazing chicken and mushroom pie, and we put J plus C and a little heart around it on the top just because it was funny and cute. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so Emma is, just just to be clear, Emma is a biblical studies scholar doing her PhD here at University of Sheffield and is an Outlander fan. The two are not mutually exclusive. Um, <laughs> Do you remember how we actually met, Jamie? How did we actually meet? I remember. It was quite funny. 
well, not funny, but Jamie uh, was doing a visiting seminar uh, at Sheffield uh, with David Toombs, who was mm -hmm. a PhD supervisor. All hail, David. Yeah, yeah. great guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just done a research talk on Jesus and Me Too. Yeah. And, um, and obviously that's about men and sexual violence. And I put my hand up at the end and asked a question. And I, and, I, and I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. And I said, I don't suppose anyone watches Outlander. <laughs> and then Jamie's and I just lit up. Because <laughs> I, I recently actually just wrote something on Outlander and the Bible and sexual violence. And you're, <laughs> I think it was the last thing you were expecting to hear. <laughs> totally and was. I was not expecting you to go, um, yes. <laughs> and I do lots of research on it as well. <laughs> and I'm, in an academic environment, I totally fangirled out about yeah. Outlander, which so funny yeah yeah there was like every academic from the Sheffield Institute insists throwing <laughs> biblical studies there all the PhD students and I was like OMG Outlander mm. isn't Jamie Fraser the best <laughs> yeah 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 that was funny a total surprise it was great and we've been in touch ever since so mm. so emma had a chapter the research that she did uh, a chapter published in a book called rape culture gender violence and religion biblical perspectives and it's an edited copy so there are lots of chapters by lots of different people in it Highly recommend it. The publisher's Paul Grave Macmillan, and it came out this year, right? Yeah. Just a few months ago. Just a few months ago. It was um, edited by Caroline Blythe, who's in Auckland University. Emily Colgan is also at Auckland. And yep. Katie Edwards, who's based in Sheffield. Right. And there's three volumes. This one that my chapter's in is Biblical Perspectives. And then there's Christian Perspectives and then I think Global Perspectives. Right, okay. But yeah, it's really exciting volume cool. and a shout out volume. to emily as well because i think she follows us on twitter so if you're listening emily hello we're glad glad <laughs> to be able to say your name on air yeah first of all we should say a bit of a well we usually give a spoiler alert if we are going to be talking about things that might spoil things for you emma has not yet finished the series not to shame you or anything because there's other people who haven't i know who are listening as well but up to book three right yeah. is where where you are yeah. uh well in season three too but what we're talking about today in relation to uh, sexual violence and an outlander we will not encapsulate the entire series we will only really deal with it up to book three so those of you who have gone further will know certain things that we won't be talking about we'll deal with those in another episode so yeah judging by jamie's side eye i'm getting the impression that there's lots more to come yeah well <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> but yeah so um yay sexual violence and outlander yeah. <laughs> yeah um so emma tell us a little bit about yourself why you study sexual violence which i'm sure you get that asked that yeah. question quite a bit just in a nutshell what are your interests and, and what brought you to outlander basically Okay, so I started my PhD in interdisciplinary biblical studies about a year ago. So biblical studies and gender studies. I came to that because I did my uh, sort of training in archaeology. I specifically looked at religious violence and sort of medieval and Roman periods. I left university, spent many years away from university, was got much more involved in uh, feminist activism, and then I sort of thought I wanted to come back to university, get more involved in research, and I wanted to mash up my interest in religion and violence and intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. And then I thought one of the most sort of prominent issues in all of those fields was sexual violence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And Sheffield was a great place to study that because mm. uh, Katie Edwards and Johanna Steiber at Leeds and Caroline Blythe in Auckland, they were just starting up that year a research centre into religion and rape culture, mm. which is the Shiloh Project. Not to interrupt, but if you're interested in this topic, definitely look up the Shiloh Project online. Their website is amazing. Lots of stuff that's been written. Uh, videos from the most recent conference, which was in July, that was fantastic, and Emma pretty much ran. But yeah, so that, that's how I got into sort of biblical studies and did more research on sexual violence. I got into Outlander, because my friend Jane Evans told me to watch Outlander. So I watched Outlander mm. and I was like, well, this is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I never looked back. 
I sort of got into this club of people at work who'd all seen Outlander. Mm -hmm. And then that was just the talk of the office. Every time we were there, the men felt quite uncomfortable (laughs) for for, for a lot of those discussions. Mm. I remember the day I went into work having just watched the wedding episode. Oh my goodness. And they scheduled a whole lunchtime (laughs) session to to debrief about that. (laughs) And, um, And yeah, so when I got to the last episode of season one, the infamous... Mm-hmm. Scene. Mm-hmm. It went with prison. To rent um, to my man's soul is the name of the, the yeah. name of the episode. Yep. Yeah. Also the name of my book chapter. Yes, that's why I wanted <laughs> Find to make sure say stones. it. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I think like everyone else was very taken aback. Mm. Sort of could tell where this episode was gonna go, but the sexual violence in that episode was handled and sort of displayed in a way that I sort of wasn't expecting. Since I was quite sort of new to biblical studies. I was sort of, you know, reading very widely around the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament to Christians. And yeah, when I read Lamentations 3, it just seemed like th- the similarities in the text to me were like really overwhelming. Mm. And the more I thought about it, the mm-hmm. more the man of sorrows in Lamentations 3, the more his experiences mapped very, very clearly onto Jamie's. Mm. So it started off as... I get a chance encounter and then I realised that actually Outlander was a really, really good vehicle to explore um, sexual violence and male rape in the Bible, right. which is, you know, not really talked about much in terms of, no. you know, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of feminist scholarship around rape and women mm-hmm. in the Bible, not so much male rape. And I, I hadn't come across any readings actually that said that the man of sorrow was in Lamentations 3 may have been raped or could be evoking the trauma of male rape and um jamie just seemed yeah just the the, the similarities are startling to me yeah and that's sort of yeah that that's how that happened really and it's interesting too i mean within at least theological or biblical studies um circles the the man of sorrows is kind of seen as a prototype for jesus and then so the research and work that i do with david tombs and how the story of the crucifixion is at least a story of public nakedness, of public stripping of Jesus, if not more. And the fact that, you know, why don't we see either of those stories as, as male rape? So for those of us who aren't biblical study scholars, who maybe aren't as familiar with the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, what's important about lamentation? So give us a bit of a context of why this is important and who is the man of sorrows yeah yeah i didn't know that a few years ago so definitely something yeah i should say um okay so the book of lamentations consists of uh, five poems so each book is now quite small you can read it quite quickly you Mm -hmm. can pause it now even the podcast go and and read it and then come back in about you know yeah 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, Yeah, as you can guess, the Book of Lamentations is full of lamentations. It's very, very sad. Mm. Um, There's five poems expressing a very intense grief in the aftermath of the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonian Empire. So yeah, the city's sort of just being destroyed and these poems offer from all different perspectives very raw, unfiltered expressions of very deep, uh, sorrow and despair. So yeah, I suppose like some of the central themes are around, yeah, sorrow, despair, pain, destruction, and it just has an overall feeling of a place in the aftermath of like absolute catastrophe. And trying to find meaning in that in some way too. Kind oh, of why has this happened? What might we have done wrong? What you know have we brought this upon ourselves? Those kinds of questions, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, Lamentations one is from the point of view of daughter Zion, so the fallen city herself, who's personified as she often is as as a raped and unfaithful wife, and then again in Lamentations four is a mother who's lost her children. And then, the so Lamentations 3 is important. It's the central book, or, or, or often read as the central book of Lamentations. Kind of the um, fulcrum on which it all sort yeah, of hinges, yeah. yeah? Yeah, very central to that is it sort of fluctuates between expressions of very intense grief, trying to find meaning in that, asks God why, why he sort of treated him like this. I think trying to make sense of a shattered relationship with God. Hmm. And then by the end of the poem, hope finds more of a strong expression in Lamentations 3 than perhaps the other poems 
when the man comes to the realization he has sinned god hasn't forgiven but god doesn't punish needlessly mm-hmm. and when he comes to that realization that god his steadfast love is there his punishment just means that he loves me so it ends on a more hopeful note but there's just some very very like powerful messages of, of despair and there's a lots of debate mm-hmm. around who the man is yeah which makes you read it very differently some people read him as like a soldier some people read him as jeremiah actually mm-hmm. and one of the prophets because the tradition is that or some people would say that jeremiah wrote lamentations but yeah we, we yeah we don't really know and don't think but uh, traditionally yet yeah, it's attributed to him yeah. right yeah yeah um i mean i i read it as <clears throat> Yeah, like a soldier figure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which works even better with Jamie. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, as you say, definitely like the sort of pre-Jesus figure. He's described by a lot of people as the, the model sufferer. Yeah, a very good example of what of what good suffering looks like, is mm-hmm. in there's some grief, but then you come out of it the other side, having realized what the point of it all was. Mm. So yeah, so in in a context of sexual violence and rape culture. That element of, well, from where I understand it, Mm. that element of Mm self-blame takes on another meaning when you understand it in the context of a rape culture. Yeah. And so that's what I wrote, tries to set out, Mm. because very few readers entertain the idea that the man of sorrows, the man in lamentations, has been raped. Mm. But yet I argue that actually, if we look at what the sort of key features, tropes, vocabularies of a rape text is Mm -hmm. we see that a lot in lamentations Mm three in the rape of jamie and outlander because we we know explicitly that he is violently raped Mm -hmm. he it acts as a very good foil for that text so the violent torture elements of victim blaming perceived loss of masculinity humiliation the way there's a confusion between the abuser, someone who loves you, all these things So, so that's what i tried to do i highlighted the key elements of a rape text showed how they're present in Outlander and then said from that we can also see them in the biblical text mm. yeah mm. so that, that, that's what I tried to do cool so okay a couple things that sort of occur to me that we should probably talk about so you're coming from it from more of a biblical studies perspective so kind of what the text is saying whereas I would be coming at it from a more theological way and what does the text mean which is different and so one of the things that at least we talk about within kind of feminist and political theology that's oriented towards suffering um is kind of what value does suffering have and and question well the term for that is theodicy of kind of what you know why do bad things happen to good people or just why do bad things happen in general and what you know what does god have to say about that or what role does god play and a lot of people will talk about suffering in a some sort of pedagogical way in the sense of it happened to teach me a lesson or it happened in order for me to learn that. So there's an element of sort of taking that as a, that's its positive value. While that might be true in certain circumstances, I think to blanketly say suffering happens in order to teach us a lesson. People are raped in order for them to learn a lesson, to not put themselves in harm's way, to, you know, whatever the lesson might be. Or that, you know... All things work together for good for those who love God and called according to his purpose. You know, that kind of, there is good to come out of it. Okay, yeah, we might learn a lesson and good might come out of it, but that isn't why those things happen. And so I think for me, I feel responsibility that as we're talking about sexual violence in the Bible, we're talking about sexual violence in Outlander, that we are not setting anything up for you guys as listeners to hear this as... These are the lessons we can learn from the... We can learn lessons, but that's not why it's in the text. I have difficulty with a text that points toward this happened to him, the man of sorrows. This happened to Jamie or to any victim of sexual violence because of something they did or did not do. Yeah, absolutely. And and that that's sort of my key takeaway as well. I think I said this to you earlier. I, there is a, a large part of this book chapter that doesn't actually appear in the book chapter. Mm. That is, you know, once we understand the man of sorrows as some someone who's potentially been raped, then yeah, I think 
all of those points about the value of suffering become completely inappropriate. Yeah. And that that just completely reinforces victim blaming, which mm-hmm. just has to be rejected mm-hmm. in the context of a rape culture. And it's incredibly <clears throat> important with the Book of Lamentations as you know, like has been described as a handbook of suffering. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not just a text; it's a resource for, yeah. for for how to deal with something. And even if you don't recognize the man as someone who is maybe reflecting on the trauma of rape, the experience in in his sort of stream of consciousness is as such that no matter what's happened to him, mm-hmm. if he's saying I'm suffering because of my own sin, if you direct someone who's experience sexual violence to read that then the message is very clear i don't and think, wrong yeah i don't think i don't think there's any lesson to be learned no. from on behalf of this of the person who's who's been raped from no. that experience no or so that's I, not the reason it happened i think that I, yeah i think there is a distinction between yes we probably can learn lessons but we aren't given those things. Suffering doesn't happen in order to teach us something or, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, there's lots to suggest that when people experience trauma, things stop becoming co- coherent and, and yeah. linear. Mm-hmm. So to, to desperately grasp for meaning in something so traumatic is, mm-hmm. is a natural reaction mm-hmm. and to potentially present someone with that very neat type of meaning in that Mm -hmm. experience is like really dangerous and can just potentially reproduce the things that give a rape culture scaffold which is things like victim blaming yeah yeah (laughs) and it's just something that absolutely has to be pushed back against in 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 the case of something like a biblical text it's just even more important in in a text that is granted meaning Mm. within rape cultures in the Mm -hmm. world it's still a moral compass for many Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's just important to disclose, name, expose, probe, yeah. those interrogate texts. and, yeah. and, and doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, within feminist theology, I think in probably the first couple episodes, we talked about the hermeneutic of suspicion as being a really important part of approaching the text. For whom was this text written? Whose power does it reflect? Who benefits? Yeah, what stories will get precedence? Sometimes, you know, the text pointedly points to the margins and says, you know, this is this is important, and other times it doesn't. And so to constantly sort of ask those questions and be suspicious of the text, and not suspicious not in the sense of, you know, it doesn't have something to say to us, but suspicious in the sense of ask questions and interrogate it, so I think is really important. Another question that then I would ask you is that you've talked about male rape you've you've mentioned that already so the role of gender in this story or in lamentations you talked about daughter of zion and then you talked about this where does that fit what do we need to know about lamentations and gender and lamentations three specifically well excellent question (laughs) (laughs) it's as if we've talked about this before (laughs) i think gender is an incredibly important feature of, of lamentations probably because as, as i sort of hinted at earlier the expressions of grief and sorrow in lamentations are like inherently gendered yeah and um, so in lamentations one when we have the daughter zion who is a raped adulterous wife you know it's it, it's the expression of feminine suffering and mm-hmm. um, when she's a mother without her children and four Lamentations 4 that's expressed as a type of gendered suffering Mm. and then with Lamentations 3 the man of sorrows his suffering is portrayed in what would be quite a masculine way Mm. so you know there's there's lots of talk about weapons and war and when he talks about there's lots of animal and hunting imagery like God was as a bear or a lion in wait and Mm. it's just just yeah very very masculine expressions of suffering what i find quite interesting is there are a lot of commentators who will recognize lamentations one specifically as talking about sexual violence and rape Mm -hmm. because of the language that it uses but not in lamentations three and to me some of the language appears very phallic Mm -hmm. and very sexually aggressive Mm -hmm. you know like the rod of god's wrath and Mm -hmm. he set me a target for his arrow all this sort of stuff that i sort of i sort of feel like if there was a feminine pronoun there as opposed to a masculine one Mm -hmm. people would be far quicker to recognize it potentially as an example of rape 
Mm. Male rape, that is. Mm. And it's not like male rape isn't a thing in the Bible. I mean, the threat of male rape is present in biblical texts. So, so, so we know that, you know, that is something that people were aware of. I'm thinking of the Sodom text, Genesis 19, mm. in the sense of the three strangers were at least perceived to be male. So yeah, the threat, threat of male rape, definitely, yeah. And I think this is why Outlander is really interesting, because... Jamie's rape in Outlander was met with massive response. Mm. It was in tabloid news, it was all over the internet, but the multiple brushes that Claire has with sexual violence and other female characters, and um, not just in Outlander, but I mean Game of Thrones is a good example. Yeah. Or, you know, Rain when um Queen Mary's raped. I think Roxanne Gay describes it as a cultural numbness about rape. Mm-hmm. But when a man was raped on television, it is just this explosion. Mm. So I feel like because we're so used to the idea of rape only happening in certain dominant discourses mm-hmm. with certain genders, mm-hmm. then we're either unable to deal with the rape of a man as an outlander, mm-hmm. or we become actually completely blind to it, like yeah. in Lamentations. But yeah. actually we know that men are raped. We know that male rape is a huge problem in the church itself. And I mm. should say as a disclaimer, this is not me saying that like rape is sort of like a gender non-discriminatory issue. Mm. I completely understand. And in my own research, it's really tricky ground. It is tricky ground. Yeah, so the research that I do with David, I want to m- make sure and be as inclusive as possible about the experiences of sexual violence. And in that way... I know that while the majority of reported cases of sexual violence tend to be women and girls, and I say reported because we also know that there's an issue around shame and silence for everybody, but especially for men and boys. So while we say we think there are more women and girls who experience this, I don't know. Maybe not. We don't know. I think that my own work, I like to think of myself as an intersectional feminist, Mm. my own PhD research is about the rape of women in the Bible and in contemporary depictions. I think, yeah, because of the shocking statistics in reporting rape, Mm. we we don't know. But I I do think women and non-cis men Mm. experience negatively the impact of a rape culture more broadly, more. Yeah. In terms of physical rape, I would say that probably non-cis men, women, trans women, non-binary people suffer the negative effects of a rape culture probably more in their day-to-day lives. Than, than cis hetero men. Yeah. 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 But yeah, obviously that's not to say, but yeah, I think obviously very important that we know men are raped. Yeah. And we know that there's a particular taboo around men yeah. saying that they're raped. Yeah. And that is why I'm very interested in the biblical text why some commentators will recognise the rape of sort of daughter Zion, the metaphorical rape mm-hmm. of daughter Zion. But the idea that Lamentations 3 could be about rape is just never entertained. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just a case of pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like, if the he mm-hmm. was changed to a she, that interpretation would have been made before. Yeah. And, and so that, kind of blindness to the fact that this doesn't happen to men. Yeah. Men cannot be breached. And we see um, that in how people respond to this biblical text. Mm-hmm. But we also saw it with Outlander. Absolutely. The response that Jamie's rape gets mm-hmm. in comparison to the vast numbers. Mm-hmm. Of, it's like we're, we're so used to seeing women's bodies treated like that yeah. in our day-to-day lives and on TV that it's nothing to write in the tabloids about. Yeah. I'm just thinking kind of in the fan circles, the number of people who say, you know, they can't watch the last two episodes, which, you know what, I I find it difficult to watch too, so this is not a judgment on my part, but no one talks about not being able to watch Garrison Commander, where, you know, Claire is not only, you know, almost raped, but also beaten. She's punched and goes through this entire sort of horrific kind of interrogation uh, mental torture if nothing else um absolutely my friend told me that when she watched outlander with her partner boyfriend yeah and when they got to the last episode he said this shouldn't be on tv yeah yeah and she was like we've just watched a lot of attempted rapes and also as i say you can throw a dart on netflix and find 
Yeah. A pretty graphic rape scene in pretty mainstream television. Yeah. But it's like, this should not be on TV. This is appalling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember when, I think the, when the most recent season of Outlander was aired, there was a horrible case in the news where like a football coach had been jailed for sexual assault of loads of, of young boys. Mm. And we were like, yeah, we, we know that rape of men happens, yet we see that on TV and we think... Mm-hmm. We're just so shocked by it. Yeah. And even even Fergus, you know, spoiler alert and all that kind of stuff, but throughout the series, the majority of the main characters encounter some form of rape or sexual violence over the course of the series. And Fergus and Ian, we Ian as well. I mean, Galus has her way with him. And then Fergus by Blackjack as well. And nobody really at least in the fan circles, really talked about either of those in a really big way. Not in the same way that they talked about Jamie. And is it because the hero, the hero was raped as opposed to a side character at at least at the time? Well, I think protagonists get raped a lot. Yeah. But someone who fulfills the ideals of masculinity in the way that Jamie Jamie does. does. Yeah. Which is why so many women love him, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hands up. <laughs> Not only he's yeah. beautiful, but, you know, he's the soldier, he's the laird, he's the husband, he's the honorable person. He's, he's Yeah. He is upstanding. He is tall. He, you know, like all those other things that we've said in the, in previous episodes of kind of why he is who he is. What is it that makes him who he is? Is this epitome of impenetrable masculinity? Right. Absolutely. So I I look at rape revenge narratives mm-hmm. in, in a lot of what I do, and um, rape revenge narratives have some have some commonalities and uh, conventions, and um, you know the the Avenger is mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Really, really traditional conservative rape revenge narratives would have a man deliver the vengeance on behalf of the woman whether that's in the the crime detective genre mm-hmm. where like you know the, the detective would like solve solve the thing or whether the husband w- would do the avenging and mm-hmm. um, and then you sort of get the more feminist or sometimes you know weirdly post-feminist interpretations where you have these really highly sexualized women with heels and smeared lipstick doing the vengeance mm-hmm. instead but what we're used to was really like it was Claire who should have been raped and Jamie should be the one taking vengeance on mm-hmm. it. Jamie should be the one getting raped. Yeah. In in those sort of classic narratives. Yeah. And that's why it's like so shock so shocking to us because we see this hyper masculine man, and he's sort of shoved into the space of a symbolic woman. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Which, as we know, is ridiculous because rape impacts everyone, yeah. but because of the way that we're meant to understand rape as something inherently you know shameful that's happened to you and you know you've been penetrated you've been, all this stuff is just not something that we're trained to identify as masculine yeah which is why yeah, jamie shepherds this man, yeah. yeah this very very painful perceived loss of masculinity afterwards mm. they say perceived because obviously it's not the case he's no less masculine than he was before but he has this horrible perceived loss of masculinity Mm. When, you know, he says to Claire he can't be her husband anymore. Mm-hmm. His identity as a soldier, as, as a brave man, mm-hmm. is so important to him that when he says, I didn't used to think myself a coward, but I wasn't brave enough to die, I can't be your husband anymore, he takes away from himself the most important parts of his identity. Like, he's a husband to Claire, he's a Scottish soldier... And it's just, it's just really and Laird, someone yeah. who is in control. I, I we've said this a few times. Impenetrable in the sense of that he he is the one who has mastery over things, as opposed to someone having mastery over him yeah. in that particular situation. And he's given Claire protection of his body. Yeah, protection of my clan and of my body as well. He yeah. says, and here he did. Mm. Literally, literally, literally this, said. Yeah. See the woman safely from the prison. Yeah. Do what you want to be. Yeah. Which is another really interesting thing with regards to masculinity. I mean, in masculinity studies, I think it was in 
Michael Messner's chapter of Transforming a Rape Culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, he talks about how some form of injury or defeat isn't always a non-masculine thing. It was done in a really honourable way. Yeah. Like, there's actually something really masculine about like playing a sport when you're injured type right. of thing. Right. So actually, it can be read as a very masculine thing of Jamie to have done. For him to sacrifice yeah. his body for Claire's yeah. well-being. Yeah, he literally does protect Claire with his body. He does, he, yeah. He, you know, gives it over to Jack and... Mm. I always thought the TV interpretation specifically, there's just that horrible shot when I think it's the start of the next episode where Jamie is sort of lying down and we see his face and Jack is lying behind him Mm -hmm. and the camera pans out. Mm -hmm. And I think actually you can hear like military music being Mm -hmm. played. Like the drum roll for the... the, the, Yeah, I think it's morning, so it's Reveille or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's just... To to me, it just felt like a very explicit juxtaposition Mm -hmm. of that military context Mm. and Jamie lying naked... Having just been raped by Jack, it just felt like a big. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally know what you mean. That military music and the context. Playing with what you associate with masculinity in the context of male rape. Yeah, totally. So we've talked a lot about Jamie, but what about Blackjack? What stands out to you about his portrayal, him as a character in that particular scene or or episode? That's both interesting and problematic. Well, I mean, he's just the worst, isn't he? Yeah. Blackjack and Joffrey, man. <laughs> Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah these sadistic pieces of shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive my language, but there's just... Oh, Lord. So, oh. Blackjack Randall. In, okay, so maybe, maybe both make this easier and more difficult for you. So, gender studies. Um, stuff around sexuality and sexual violence. And we have... At least for those who are, are early to the to the series, Blackjack is the first LGBT uh, first character. possible LGBT character. I mean, Diana says that he's not gay; that he's just an equal opportunity sadist. However, whether or not that is an accurate portrayal, I'm not quite sure. I think that in itself is an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Because Diana can say that. Yeah. <laughs> However, yeah. I think it's really interested in a lot of respects to interrogate the choices the TV producers made. Yes. From the changes they've made from the book. So, yeah, if Diana says she he's not gay, he's mm-hmm. not homosexual, he's not mm-hmm. bisexual, he's an equal opportunity sadist, but I think choices are made in the TV programme to mm-hmm. explicitly make him gay. Okay. As in, he outrightly says to Claire, you know my tastes and you're not it, basically, but, like, mm-hmm. at a pinch... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you'll um, do. I think he's he's yeah. framed as queer mm. in the TV show, uh, maybe a lot more than the book. I, I it, think you're right. And there's sort of interesting questions as to why they've done that. Again, if you look at rape revenge narratives um, in film and in TV, they're really interesting because they can tell you a lot about public understandings of rape. Because mm-hmm. in a rape revenge narrative, the audience has to really get behind the person who's been, who's been raped you have to believe they've really been wronged and that a really evil person has raped them and is therefore deserving of revenge. Mm-hmm. If you look at the sort of person who is cast as a rapist in those narratives, it tells you a lot about social prejudices. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in some of the films of the 70s and 80s, those people are often queered in some way mm-hmm. or sort of rednecks or mm-hmm. like more working class people. And it sort of feels like you see a bit of that happening in Outlander there. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, he's the only near to LGBT character that you have, mm-hmm. and he's this sadist mm-hmm. and a rapist, mm-hmm. and that juxtaposed with this, like, masculine purity embodied by Jamie, yes, is yeah. is problematic, I think. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but the whole episode made everyone feel very uncomfortable, but then there's that scene where he lets his hair down runs Lavender Royal through it and asks Jamie to pretend that he's Claire. So he's sort of masquerading there as Claire. Mm-hmm. And that can potentially feed into some really LGBT phobic points around particularly transphobic. Well yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, that that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. These transphobic ideas that trans people 
um, trans women particularly mm-hmm. are men pretending to be women, tricking people into having sex with them. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a myth that mm-hmm. leads to massive violence against trans people. So that is sort of uncomfortable in mm-hmm. that respect as well. It's like, how does that feed into that? How does that... Mm reproduce some of that but I, I i don't think that diana gabaldon wrote this particularly with i don't know nuanced ideas of gender and lgbt hey, i mean we have to remember it was written in the early 90s things yeah. things have changed things, significantly yeah. um mm-hmm. both in social attitudes and you know and, and we don't diana if you're listening we don't know you personally we would love to have this conversation with you at some point yeah but um (laughs) but i mean even her ideas might have changed over the course of time my Um, ideas changed since the early 90s early 90s (laughs) i am not the same person you know yeah and, and and we can you know extrapolate diana's attitudes towards homosexuality in reference to other characters lord john gray being one particular example but percy and a few others and the fact that she spent so much time on the Lord John Gray novels as and novellas as side stories, you know, I think sort of point to that that she's not homophobic. However, the way in which Blackjack, I always want to say just BJR because that's how I always write it, but how Blackjack Randall has been portrayed, yeah, is slightly problematic, but... Yeah, no, I, I, I don't mean to suggest that Diana herself is homophobic. No, 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 <laughs> um, and we're not saying that, but... but... But, but but yeah, people legitimately have concerns about yeah. because I mean the, there's lots nowadays about how important representation is, mm. and when the only LGBT characters you see on screen are either sadists or the butt of a joke or abusers, not just sadists but just abusers in general. Yeah, th- then then um, you've got a problem there. Or maybe even not abusers but predatory. Mm. I think growing up, that was always the trope I saw in relation to primarily gay men. I was going to say LGBT, but yeah, primarily gay men of this predatory sort of idea that they're always looking for the next person to shag. And and that's not, that's not true, obviously, but really problematic in how then it shapes culture toward that individual or or that particular community. Mm. Then you have our lad John. He's really nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most one of the most honorable characters in the series. Yeah, um, and I have to say actually that just reminds me of just so that leads quite nicely on <laughs> yeah. uh, to the idea about uh, trauma and like mm. lasting trauma and mm. um, as portrayed in Outlander as well. And um, that scene, I also talk about scenes because I have watched these episodes so many times. <laughs> Join the club, right? And I've seen those scenes rather than chapters. Um, yeah. When Jamie gets the idea that John is into him. Yeah. And the the fear in his face, like the anger, mm-hmm. and the, I just, oh, and I just remember, mm. I definitely cried, mm. and yeah, and I think that is a really you know good important feature of how sexual violence is handled in Outlander, like Jamie's trauma from that abuse doesn't just last a few episodes. I mean, it spans entire seasons. Yeah. Which is actually really rare for depictions of rape on TV. It happens. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about mm. you talked about that in your research, that, that kind of the forgetfulness of, mm. of trauma or that something may happen to a person and then two or three episodes later, because it might be a different writer, because it they maybe just don't give importance to it, that kind of stuff, but that it's just it's just sort of forgotten. Yeah, and I think that there's been a, like a lot of research on the function of rape in TV shows, and one of the main reasons that that happens is because it seems that when writers decide that a character is going to be raped, usually a woman has to be said, it's nothing to do with that character. Mm. It's normally to further another man's story arc. Mm. So in I talk about Rain, <laughs> the end, the Mary Queen of Scots thing. So mm-hmm. I watched that recently. So yeah, when Mary's raped. It's completely a story about how her husband finds his way back to her. I mean, that's what it is. Right. And something happens there to forward his story arc. Mm. So once that story arc is completed, the job <clears> of that rape's done, it's nothing about her experiences and how she recovers from them. It's an action point in the narrative as a catalyst for something else. Mm. 
But that's related to a man. Yeah. But that's been a criticism from some people about Outlander and about Diana Gabaldon's work is that rape is used too often as a plot device. Yeah. And I'm there uh, in, in a lot of ways. I mean... The reason why Jamie goes after Blackjack in season two or in book two is because he's raped Fergus. Otherwise, Jamie would have kept his his promise to Claire to let him live. That's just one example. Yeah, no, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever seen like a perfect rape narrative. No, no. On TV, but, I, yeah, but, but I still think that's that, important to say. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> of but, course, rape is going to have an effect on the plot. Of course, yeah. it's going to have effect on the characters. So, at what point but does it become gratuitous? And what point yeah. is it responsible? Yeah, but I, I think the portrayal. Of what happened to Jamie is something that stays with him and impacts his life. I mean, of course, this is going to be... People experience these traumas differently and there's not one response to it. Mm. Absolutely. But it, it, it's very rare to see the story is about how he heals and how... Or doesn't heal or how he survives or how it... You know, he has problems maintaining a relationship with Claire. Mm. And he has that really, really powerful speech where he talks about feeling... Like his fortress was blown apart. Oh gosh. Naked, trembling under relief. Yeah. Oh my god. Like that was just I just wept when yeah. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just about to like present this chapter somewhere. Mm. And I couldn't read that bit out. I just had to put in the clip from the TV show. Yeah. And I, said, I can't read it without crying. Yeah. And also Sam just does it way better. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I was like I just thought that was so powerful. I think it's like season three when you have that scene with John or John yeah. Gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is got, season three. It's while they're in Ardsmuir. Yeah, and you think that, hey, that's in the past now, mm. but then you just, all of a sudden, you're brought right back to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, what you see from research can happen to people who've been traumatised. Yeah. Like, something that happens and you're brought right back to that moment. That hypervigilance mm. of, you know, always... It's not as if John was going to jump in right then and there, but as soon as that movement happened that communicated John's interest in him, he just mm-hmm. automatically jumped. And I mean, I don't, I can try to remember if the end of season three kind of once, you know, the 20 years later, sort of whether or not they've depicted it at all, but certainly in the books, post book three, Jamie continues to have nightmares, continues mm-hmm. to have ill effects. And, you know, he is processing, he's dealing with it he well we're gonna do another episode on forgiveness and so you know we'll question whether or not you know it was forgiveness that he ended up sorting out for his own interest and for himself as opposed to for blackjack's benefit but yeah it is something that he lives with for the rest of his life and that at least i appreciate you know despite the i think legitimate criticisms about rape being a too easy plot device in the series sometimes i would say at least it's dealt with responsibly i don't know call me out but at least there are after effects at least it it continues to play out and it's not just forgotten I think in comparison to the low bar. Yeah, okay, okay, there we go. Culture, the low bar. That, that, there that, we go. It's say. not a hard, high bar for it to, yeah, I, I'd for say, it to I, achieve. I'm not sure I'd say Hey Outlander handles rape responsibly. Yeah. By a long shot. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I'd say fair enough. the low bar set by its peers. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's better than a lot of them. Yeah, I think it's better than a lot. You're right. You know what, there was a lot of fan response to people writing to Diana Gabaldon saying that that episode helped them a lot. Yeah, yeah. And she's written about that, the impact that it has had, positive impact that's had for survivors. And that has value. That's the most value, mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. Going back, not not to harp on things, but I do want to talk about Blackjack as an abuser mm-hmm. and how the language that's in Lamentations 3 as well, of as theologically problematic as this is, as God the abuser. I mean, obviously, whoever the author of Lamentations is, is understanding that what has happened to the Man of Sorrows and to the Daughters of Zion and, and to those who are suffering in Lamentations is because of either their unfaithfulness or just not doing what they should have done, not being as faithful to God as they should have been. And so there's this idea of, you made me do it. Let's talk 
bit more about that. Well, I think in both Outlander and Lamentations, it's not even implied. It's explicit. It's explicit, yeah. That, um, I mean, in Outlander, it's certainly explicit because Blackjack says, why do you force me to hurt you? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that, that element of victim blame is made really, really clear, like straight away. It's really interesting with Outlander because there's this, from Blackjack's point of view, which is why I'm not sure about what Diana Gabaldon has said about how he's an equal opportunity sadist because she like puts the language of love <laughs> into Jack Black's mouth. Like he talk he talks about how I could have had you earlier and I won't give in to coarse passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna you know, talk to you first. And then Jamie describes it, what he says, by turns vicious and tender, bit by bit, using pain as his weapon, he destroyed all barriers of mind and body. He did not just hurt me, it was an act of love to him. He was very careful with me, used oil, took a long time, touching me gently. And then this idea of, you know, why do you force me to hurt you? He's definitely using this, like, language about love to talk about this abuse which is really difficult and really problematic because this conflation of like abuser and caregiver mm. like we, we see that a lot in contemporary or that love and just love and abuse yeah yeah, yeah. We, we see that we see that a lot in contemporary rape culture and particularly in terms of uh, like domestic violence and intimate mm. partner violence this idea of you know, I, I'm doing this like because I love you, mm-hmm. or I'm doing this despite the fact that I love you, and these oh, it's ideas... for your benefit, yeah. or to teach you a lesson. Yeah. yeah, and this sort of ambivalence surrounding the abuser's motivations, research suggests can be very disorientating for a victim, mm-hmm. leads to repeated cycles of violence, then abusive relationships, hopefully that at one point the abuse will be replaced by care again mm-hmm. and yeah that that's made very explicit in lamentations and i'm just gonna like read a passage yeah um, for the lord will not reject forever although he causes grief he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone and that comes after so he the doesn't most... willingly afflict or grieve anyone yeah. you forced him to do it yeah you forced and this this comes after some of the most harrowing descriptions of horrible abuses mm. and and after that to read that it just feels very it just makes me feel physically sick <laughs> to, to be quite honest yeah, yeah that this idea that he isn't doing this on purpose his steadfast love will endure, you know, this too shall pass. Mm. I might be feeling this now, but it's because of me and he loved me again after that. I don't think Jack does love Jamie. I think, you know, rape is about power and not about desire and love. Mm. But the, the use of that language in the text of Outlander, talking about how this was an act of love for him, it, it really brings that into focus, that manipulation from the abuser. They, they love you or they care about you and... Mm you know, what, why are you forcing me to do this? Just brings all that into focus a lot. Yeah, to me, that was a very big uh, connection between between Outlander and Lamentations. Mm. The, the importance of acknowledging the how problematic it is to talk about the language of love and rape is it reflects just a really common trope of rape culture discourse, which equates rape with sex and desire, or even love on the part of the rapist when... It should be understood as an act of violence and control, mm. which is why when people talk about people being just overcome with desire, mm-hmm. and they just it, couldn't help themselves. Yeah, it's completely inappropriate, mm. and also th- this, you know, directly or indirectly feeds into all this stuff about what women wear, mm. <laughs> all these things, which are actually just completely irrelevant to mm. a discussion about rape culture. So let's end this episode with okay. So we've pointed out how difficult Lamentations is, and how obviously how difficult cult outlander is and while you know we approach within within the podcast we approach outlander as a sacred text in the sense of we think it has merit we think it has meaning we want to pick it apart and look at it as we would a sacred text right but lamentations obviously is sacred to a whole lot more people can the text be redeemed in a way that's meaningful for us now to read it that God is the one that inflicts this abuse for our own good, I find tremendously problematic. And not a God, actually, that I would be too terribly keen to follow or find any sort of authority in, especially as one who's 
who has endured, you know, sexual violence in, in particular ways, I, f- I find that really hard to, to say it's okay. How then do we understand lamentations? I think recognising that Lamentations 3 as potentially like a resource for grief and suffering, acknowledging that it could be a bug in the trauma of rape is an important step in itself. Acknowledging that it's a thing? Yeah, like like naming something. The least it could do is take away a sort of veil of silence that, that, that really often shrouds that particular form of gender violence, both in public discourses and in popular culture, like, mm. like in Outlander. Mm. I think it would take a lot of work for developing new research, to, to develop new reading strategies to read against some of that really problematic stuff in Lamentations mm. that really does nothing to contest the rape culture, if, yeah. if, if anything, and feeds into it Supports a lot. Supports it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really tricky one. I, I think at the minute we can acknowledge that male rape was a problem in the church, mm-hmm. male rape was a problem in the wider community, rape that sits, not just male rape, but rape that sits outside of dominant discourses of gender, the rape of trans women, non-binary people, all these sorts of things we know are a problem. Mm. And actually, with the biblical text at the moment, there's there's not much to appeal to to deal with that. Mm. So there's perhaps some potential there for Lamentations 3 to maybe be a resource to mm. appeal to there, mm-hmm. but not as one where the man is seen as the model sufferer, I yeah. don't think. But and yeah. not something that we take as literal, this is the, ex- you know, this is our example. Mm. This is how we're to understand what happens mm. to us. I, I'm just thinking of other problematic texts as well, because, you know, the Bible's full of them, right? Yeah, but they're, they're, they're dependent on how they're interpreted. Yeah, so and Lamentations it, 3 is too. Yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's not yeah. special in that way. Yeah, exactly. So although the text is so difficult, we know that biblical texts mean the way they're interpreted, which, which is in a hundred different ways. So mm. I'd like to think there is a way that we can propose some more transformative, resistant reading strategy for that. Mm. But um, that's a whole other section of work mm-hmm. that needs to happen now. But the first step... <laughs> the first it's step just is acknowledging, and acknowledging it, that experience, mm. I think. Mm. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, we'll be back with another episode soon. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.